Hi everybody, welcome. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. We're glad you're here. We're really excited about all that God has for us today. I'm Jim and I serve as a pastor and also a host for our experience today. Pastor Spencer is going to lead us through the book of Acts today, especially chapters six and seven. And we'll see how God uses ordinary people to change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a guest with us today, we're especially glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Check in with us and we'll send a gift out to you right away. It's a Starbucks digital gift card. Also, if you've been with us for a while and enjoy this experience, invite a friend, share this. We appreciate it. And now, and now let's hear from Stephanie, who's going to tell us more about what's going on here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. We're right in the middle of our food drive to restock our Flourish Food Pantry at Schweitzer, and we'll be collecting newly purchased food items between now and Super Bowl Sunday. Some specific items we need are dry pasta and sauces and peanut butter and jelly. So if you can provide any of those items, remember to bring them to the church office or with you to church between now and Super Bowl Sunday. Also, if you'd like to help us with sorting all of the donated food items, we're having a special food pantry sorting event on February the 8th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. in the Outreach Center. You can find out more information and sign up to let us know you're coming at sumc.co slash food pantry. It might be a little bit chilly to be thinking about canoeing and campfires, but we're making plans for a really fun Schweitzer outdoor adventure on Memorial Day weekend. Registration is open for Schweitzer's first all-church canoe trip. Choose to lodge one or two nights and enjoy all kinds of activities from canoeing to sightseeing to caving and more. You can find out more details at sumc.co slash adventure. Thanks so much, Stephanie. That outdoor adventure sounds great. Roxanne and I are gonna bring our kayaks. We invite you to engage today. There's a chat feature on your screen. Say hello to your friends and others. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, we have people available to pray with you. There's a prayer button, so access that as well. And now on this day that God has given us, this glorious day, let's uh, worship together. Let's uh, enjoy each other, celebrate God. Let's worship. Future isn't clear to me. 
trust you anyway Oh, every breath I breathe an invitation To believe you are creating something good Though this season doesn't tell my story I know you'll move mountains for me You're just that good So I'll give thanks to God When I don't have enough Cause He's more than enough And He knows what I need So I'll give thanks to God When I don't have enough Cause He's more than enough And He knows what I need As we enjoy this time of prayer together, we thank God for the gift of prayer, which is listening for God, to God, as well as a conversation with God and so much more. It's crucial and vital to a relationship with God and others. And today in the scripture that Pastor Spencer will lead us through in Acts chapter six and seven, we'll hear about several times the gift of wisdom. Wisdom, which is more than knowledge, although knowledge is good. Uh, let's pray today together for wisdom, a wisdom that expresses God's heart and mind, that becomes a reality and compassion and acts towards others that express God's heart and so much more. So I invite us now, let's pray for God's wisdom in our lives and to be expressed through our lives. Let's pray together. As we continue in prayer and worship today, in a short while we'll hear also in the scripture about Stephen, a man chosen by the early church who was full of wisdom and faith and was gifted through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he tells the amazing story of God and really expresses uh, the generations, the story of God through the generations that uh, is so important for us to know. And so today I invite us to pray for generations. Let's give God thanks for the generations that have come before us. And also, no matter our age, however seasoned we are, let's pray for the generations that follow us, for God's wisdom and blessing and so much more on their lives. Let's continue praying together. Holy God and kind, kind Father, we thank you 
for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, also for the, the gift of wisdom. Thank you, God, and for the generations. We are so grateful for people who have poured into us and uh, the lives that have come before us. And also, God, we pray in, with hope and confidence that you will bless and use the, the generations that follow us. And God, help us uh, to raise up a new generation that witnesses for you through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we love you, we trust you. And now let's uh, pray together the prayer the Lord has taught us long ago. Let's pray with a boldness and confidence and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we thank God for all that God gives to us, how God cares for us, provides for us, and so much more. And we give out of an act of worship. Our resources giving to God is, is worship, but also we trust God. And it's an act of obedience as well. And we appreciate your tithes and offerings, your gifts that make such a big difference here at Schweitzer. Coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, lives are being changed, lives are being transformed. Today, we're going to hear from Tim Smith, who is our youth director. We're gonna see how God is moving through this ministry and how your gifts are blessing others. Hey everyone, my name is Tim Smith. I'm the director of youth ministries here at Schweitzer. I wanna give you a heads up of some stuff that the students are doing here in this second semester of the school year here at Schweitzer. On Sunday mornings, every single Sunday morning right now, we are having Sunday school up in the youth room uh, from 10 to 10.45, where we, we meet together as a, as a whole group and we watch a teaching and then we break off into smaller groups to discuss that teaching. Uh, on Wednesdays uh, from 10 to noon up in the youth room, we also have our youth room open for a study hall as all of our students are virtual on Wednesdays. Uh, we want to open up that space for them to come study with their friends and hang out for a little bit uh, during a fully virtual day of school. And then on Wednesday evenings, actually starting in March, uh, on March 3rd, on Wednesday evenings, we are back every single Wednesday night uh, for youth group from 7 to 8 at 8.15 in the van bays, which is gonna be super exciting. What we do is we move out the vans and we've hung lights, we make it look real fun. Uh, we have worship, we have games, we have a message. Uh, we have all sorts of fun things going on in the van bays on Wednesday evenings. So um, whenever you guys are ready to come back, we are here ready to walk in your faith with you and hang out as much as we possibly can. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, youth. We're excited to see how God is moving in your lives. We can continue to give by going to sumc.co slash give. That's how our gifts will be received and used uh, by God and others. And now, now let's continue worshiping as Colette Freeman leads us. Let's worship.
Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. Today is part five of our series called All Together Now. We're starting the year off by just reading through the first few chapters of the book of Acts. We're seeing how the Christian movement got started, this, this movement that spread across the world. And what we're seeing each week is that, is that God has a way of using absolutely everyone. That's what the book of Acts teaches us, is that God uses ordinary, normal people, all of us, to, to spread His Word into the world. And so uh, this is the storyline of the book of Acts, this is the storyline of the church today, is how God is at work in all of our lives. That's what I hope we see in this series, is that God wants to use absolutely all of us in our lives with our gifts, our abilities, our opportunities, our leadership that we have to make a difference for others. The book of Acts is all about a promise that kicks off in Acts chapter one, verse eight. I've been reading this to you every single week because it's so important to the storyline of Acts. And the, the promise is this, Jesus ascends to heaven and he says to his followers, he says, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. You will be a witness and it will spread into the entire earth. This is the storyline of Acts that the witness of God is going to spread into the, to, the, to every end of the earth. This is the storyline of the church. This is still the storyline of the church, that God is using us uh, to be a witness into the world, all of us, because we all have a role to play. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to cover a ton of ground, Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, and we're going to see exactly this, how God has a plan to use absolutely all of us for His purposes. We're going to see a problem that the early church faced, and we're going to see how their solution to this problem is really just to believe the promise of Acts 1-8, that God is going to give His Spirit to all of us to be a witness. So let's jump into this, Acts chapter 6. We're going to read quite a bit today, cover a ton of ground as we uh, explore this promise. Here we go, Acts 6 verse 1 says this, In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, as the church is growing and spreading and moving across the area. We remember in Acts chapter 1, when we first started, there was 120 Christians in the entire world. Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, that number jumps to 3,000. Acts chapter 4, it goes to 5,000. The number of disciples is expanding, it's increasing. This is the promise of what happens. The church is growing. It's absolutely incredible, but it also comes with challenges. Because when churches grow, it comes with challenges. Growth creates challenges, which, which is why also growing churches embrace change because 
as you grow and as you expand, there are changes that have to start taking place. This change and, and this growth, it goes hand in hand as, as you go through these challenges that you face. Several years ago, I, I worked at this church and there was a pastor emeritus at this, at this church. His name was Bill Mason. And, and Bill didn't start the church, but he, but he might as well have. He was the, the pastor emeritus. He was retired for several years and I knew him. And Bill was this guy who in his, in his late 20s, he was a door-to-door salesman in like the 1960s and he's knocked on doors and sold, I don't know what he sold, but he was a door-to-door salesman. His, his buddy drug him to a Billy Graham crusade in Oklahoma City and he was saved. He gave his life to the Lord. He went back to school. He became a pastor. And eventually he ended up at this church where he served for 30 years. And the church grew from a few dozen people to 5,000 members. I mean, incredible, incredible growth. When I knew Bill, he was in his late 80s. I was in my mid-20s. And, and Bill was a kind of a grumpy guy. I mean, he, he would tell you what he thought very clear and just had no qualms about it. And there was this thing that Bill Mason always said. He, I mean, he said it over and over and over again. He'd say, I don't ever want to be a part of a church that's not growing. He kind of said it a little bit grumpy as well, but he's like, I don't ever want to be a church that's not growing. I don't ever want to be part of a church that's not growing. And when I was in my mid-20s and I heard him say this, I, I thought to myself, well, duh. I mean, who, who doesn't want to be at a church that's not growing? Like we all want to be at churches that are growing. But as I, as I went through my own work and I, I learned some things about how church works, what I realized is when he was saying that, he was saying something else as well, because there's kind of an assumption underneath that. Because you're going to be part of a growing church, it means that you're going to have to be embracing change. And one of the things that Bill Mason was always saying when he said, I don't want to be a church, I don't want to be part of a church that's not growing, is he's also saying, I don't want to be at a church that's afraid to change in order to reach people. Because that's how you grow. You reach people by changing and developing and moving and doing new things and trying different things. And this is what the church is going to have to do in Acts chapter 6. They're going to reach new people. They're going to have to change because there's a problem, a specific problem that their growth has created. And so here's what we see here as we pick back up in Acts chapter six. Here's their very specific problem. It says the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Greek speaking Jews. Hellenistic means Greek. So the Greek speaking Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, so the Hebrew speaking Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If you remember last week, we talked about how the church had this great way of caring for those in need. And they took care of every, all the needy people among them. And this is what the church was known for. And, and as they've grown, they've, they've grown past their capacity to take care of one another in the same kind of way. So there needs to be some, some changes that take place. So here's, here's their solution to the problem. Verse 2, it says, So the twelve, that is the apostles, they gathered all the disciples together. And they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They're like, we're gonna spend our energy, our time, our effort on focused on the thing that we can do best because there are other leaders among us who can serve. There are other leaders among us who can make ministry happen. There are other leaders among us who can do this. So verse five says, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And you'll notice those names there, seven names, are all Greek-speaking names, all Greek names. It's the Greek widows who are being overlooked. Well, verse 6 says, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And the result of this decision, this change that they made, verse 7 is this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So here's the problem. Widows are being overlooked. They can't care for people in the same way. And the solution, very simple, you delegate. You empower other people, other leaders to step in and provide ministry as well. Now, this solution's pretty obvious. I mean, all of us reading this today, we read this and it's, it's pretty obvious that this is this, the right decision to what you, what you make. But, but while it might seem obvious to us, you know, I think it's a little bit maybe less obvious if you put yourself in their shoes in that time, because as you think about this decision that they had to make, it says here that everyone was glad about this decision, but I, I kind of wonder if that really means everyone was glad about that decision. Because I've been in church long enough to know that everyone might be okay with the decision, but it, 
but not everyone's actually okay with a decision. Like anytime you bring change into a group of humans, there's always gonna be some sort of turmoil. This always takes place. Any sort of change in any group of humans creates some sort of turmoil, disagreement. People don't like what the new change looks like. And, and I can imagine for the, that for the apostles, I mean, we don't know this exactly, but, but it kind of implies that the apostles themselves were the ones who were distributing the food. And, and like Peter or Matthew or John or, or Simon, one of the actual apostles was the one handing out the bread. It was the one handing out the, the vegetables. Like it was the apostles who were doing this. And I imagine that people loved that. Don't you think that it was the apostles that they could come to and talk to and, and say hi to John or say, say hi to James every single day, have them pray over them. Like, I bet it was a really great thing. But now all of a sudden, because the church has grown and things are different, Peter and James and John and these other apostles, they're not, they're not as accessible anymore. And I, I bet that caused some, some heartache. I bet there was a few people who were a little bit upset that they couldn't talk to Peter every day anymore, even though that's what they used to do. The church has grown, things have changed, and I'm so thankful that the apostles made this decision because the apostles could have easily made the decision based on like people-pleasing and just making sure everyone stayed happy, but instead they make a decision based on the mission of what really is driving the church forward. It reminds me of this story in the Old Testament about Moses in Exodus chapter 18. In Exodus 18, Moses um, has, has led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And, and uh, they, the rear view, in the rearview mirror is the parting of the Red Sea. They've already gone through the parting of the Red Sea. In Exodus 18, uh, Moses' father-in-law comes and, and visits their camp. Jethro is his name. And Jethro kind of shadows Moses around for a day and he sees what Moses does with his time. And, and the Bible says that from morning until evening, Moses sits as the judge of the people and he hears every complaint every dispute, every question that everyone has, everyone just comes to Moses for all of those answers. And Jethro looks at what Moses is doing. He's like, Moses, you are crazy that you're acting like this. You're gonna wear yourself out and you're gonna wear everyone else out because this job is too big for you. You're gonna get stretched too thin. Like you can't do this. And so Moses takes his advice and, and he delegates and he, he empowers other people to, to become leaders as well. And, and, and what I find so fascinating about that is that's, that's in Exodus 18, that Moses makes the de decision to hand off leadership to other people. Exodus chapter 19, the very next chapter, is when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai. And, and the Bible tells us that this is where God meets with them. And Moses goes up on the mountain and he meets with God and he receives the covenant think 10 commandments, that's Exodus 20. And, and I can't help but think like if Moses didn't make that decision to empower others, but instead like held on to all of the control himself, would he have had the ability to go up on the mountain? Would he have had the time to go and focus on what's really important? In the same way with the apostles, like the apostles, they had held on to this work because that's what we've always done. This is how the church has always operated. It's Peter's job. It's James John to, to pass out the bread. Like if they had thought that this is what we're do because this is what we've always done, would, would the apostles have had the ability to spend their energy and spend their effort and their time focusing on the, on the mission of what's really going to drive us forward? Like sometimes I think leaders in whatever field you might be, sometimes leaders, we love to hold on to control. And, and when we do this though, we fail to empower others and we fail to live into what's really ultimately going to, to be important for us. This is what I'm so thankful the apostles did is they recognized that there are so many people in the body of Christ who can lead. Now let's keep reading here and see how this plays out. So we're gonna keep reading here. This is verse eight. We're gonna talk about now Stephen. Uh, because Stephen is, is uh, one of the seven, and we're going to focus in on Stephen for the next several verses here. So verse 8 says this, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. And I love that little dig there, as it was called. You think you're free, but you're not really. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of uh, Sicilia and, and Asia, who began to argue with, with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. That's the promise, power to be a witness. Verse 11 says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people, the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now Stephen is arrested, and he's um, put on trial. For the next many, many verses, really all, most of chapter 7, Stephen is going to give a defense for, uh, for the accusation against him of, of blasphemy and, and the customs of Moses. He's giving a defense about that, but instead of giving a defense of his actions, instead what he does for the next about 55 verses is he just talks about Jesus. That's what he does. That's his defense, just to share with the good news about Jesus to these folks. And at the very end of his speech, it doesn't go well. And as the speech wraps up, um, this is what we read. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, heard his speech, his, his talk about Jesus, it says they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coat at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we will later learn is, we'll change his name to Paul after he meets Christ and start all kinds of churches, but here he's instigating this stoning of Stephen. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he went on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1 just simply says, And Saul approved of their killing him. And so Stephen, one of the seven chosen to pass out the food, becomes the first Christian martyr. The first Christian martyr, the first person to give his life as a, in, as a sacrifice for the Lord, to give his life as a witness to the Lord. In fact, that word, that word martyr um, in English, it's borrowed from the Greek words, the English version of the same Greek word. And that word in Greek, it means witness. In life and in death, Stephen is a witness. In life, as he served people, as he shared the good news of people, and in death, as he died as a witness, Stephen in life and death is a witness. And as sad as Stephen's story is, and as much as um, Stephen needs to be celebrated and, and honored and respected for his great sacrifice he does here as he gives his life for the sake of Christ, I think it's incredibly interesting, incredibly important to notice that the first Christian martyr is not an apostle. The first Christian martyr is not an apostle. Because you see, the early church understands something and the apostles model something that is so important for us to catch. All of us, all of us are involved in the mission of God. All of us have a role to play in, in being a witness to the Lord. It's not just the apostles who are sharing the word of God, but rather everyone has this role. Everyone is called into this. Everyone has a, has a role to play as a, as, a, as a witness to the Lord. This promise that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, what the apostles understand is that this isn't just for them. It's not just for the special few. It's not just the people who are at the top. It's not just the pastors, the elders, the apostles. It's not just the people at the microphone. It is for all of us because all, all people who belong to Christ, we are being called to be a witness. And Stephen illustrates this so clearly in that he has this special role as this first martyr and he's not even an apostle because everyone is involved in the mission of God. Everyone. About 500 years ago, this became a, a, a huge part of, of Martin Luther's ministry. Martin Luther, of course, is the starter of the, the Protestant Reformation. And you think about Martin Luther, and sometimes you think about his message and the things he protested would have been like salvation by faith and grace, and, and that you don't have to earn your salvation, which is, of course, a huge part of, of the Protestant Reformation. You might think about how Martin Luther emphasized the reading of the Bible, the knowing of the Bible. But one of the things that Martin Luther protested against the Catholic Church in was a, an idea that he called, very famously called, the priesthood of all believers. 
And at the time, this was a revolutionary idea that he said that every one of us, every single Christian is involved in the ministry that God has. Now at the time, 500 years ago, of course, this was a revolutionary idea because in every little town there was the Catholic Church and at the Catholic Church was the priest and the priest was the one that everything revolved around. The priest was the one who, who preached and the priest was the one who shared and served and prayed for people. It was the priest who could read the Bible and teach the Bible and the priest who did all of the work of ministry ministry and Luther comes along and so do the other Protestant reformers are like, no, 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 no. This isn't just about special people. It's about all people. All of us who belong to Christ have a role to play. All of us have been given gifts. We've all have abilities. We all have calling. We all have something that God wants to use out of us in order to make a difference in the world. And while it, it sounds obvious now to, to think about what Luther preached there, the priesthood of all believers, I still think that sometimes we go back to that old way of thinking and we start to think that, that ministry and the work of God in the world is just for a few people. The experts, the people with degrees and, and initials behind their name because, because they're the ones who are trained, right? And, and so we start to think in terms of categories of like pastors and lay people and those are the experts and this is everybody else and those are the ones who do work. But, but in reality, God wants to use all of us. The great Eugene Peterson has this incredible line about this. I love this. He says this, he says, there's no more disabling word in the Christian vocabulary than layperson." I love that. Like sometimes we make categories of lay people and pastors, um, normal people and experts and, and like the experts are the ones who do ministry. But the reality is that God wants to use absolutely all of us. In fact, I think about what the New Testament teaches and how one of the dominant metaphors in the New Testament to describe the church is the metaphor of the body that we are all part of the body of Christ. I wanna to read to you just a little bit of what Paul says about the body of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and just listen to how he encourages how we're all involved in this work that God wants to do. Starting reading verse, um, verse 12, this is what Paul writes. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The truth is that there are different callings, there are different gifts, there are different abilities, there are different passions, there are different leadership opportunities, there are different relationships that we all have, and yet together we are one body. Keep going here, verse 21, Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles and gifts of healing and helping and of guidance and different kinds of tongues, all kinds of different gifts and abilities and offices and roles within the church, not just one, it's all kinds of different ways. He goes on and says, are all apostles? Well, the answer of course is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Of course not. Do all share, have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The idea is that there are so many different parts of the body, but we all have a role to play. So when I think about the book of Acts, I can't help but think about the body. Because what I see in the book of Acts is example after example after example after example of women and men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who understand that they have a role to play in the body. And their role, it may not be standing up and giving the sermon, but their role is so incredibly important. 
And, and when they live into this role, I mean, the church expands, the church spreads, the word of God spreads because people understand that as part of the body, when they use their gifts and their calling and their passion for the work of God, that we are a witness together. Like when I look at the book of Acts, what, what I see happening are stories of men and women, normal people like you and me, who simply believe that this promise of Acts 1.8, that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them, they just simply believe that this is true. It's true for them, it's true for all of them because all of them have a role to play. It's not just a select few, it's, it's all of us. And so this morning, I, I wanna offer you just a really simple word of encouragement as we wrap this up. And I, I just want you to think about this. Every single day, you are gonna have an opportunity to be a witness, every single day. And I, I don't mean that you're gonna have an opportunity to like stand up and preach sermons, but what I mean is that every single day, you're gonna have an opportunity to use your gifts, your resources, your time, your abilities, your relationships, your experiences, your wisdom to make a difference for other people, to bless other people. Every day that's gonna be before you. Every day you're gonna have an opportunity to speak a word of encouragement to somebody who's discouraged. Every day you're gonna have an opportunity to offer to pray with someone who's, who's hurting. Every day you're gonna have an opportunity to speak words of kindness to, to others and to share the love of Christ in tangible ways. Every single day you have opportunities to do this, every single day. And sometimes there's a temptation to think that those are small things. I just, all I did was encourage someone. All, all I did was say a kind word. All I did was share with somebody else. And it's not, it's not that big a deal. But here's the truth. Anytime you use your gifts, your abilities, your resources, your, your wisdom and experiences, your time to bless others, to share the good news, you are doing something that matters because you are part of the body. And what you're doing in those moments is you're fulfilling your role in the body. You are a witness of Christ. Don't think of those things as small things. Those, are, those things matter because they're, they're part of the body. And so, and so today as we, we wrap this up, we're gonna pray together in just a moment this, um, this verse from Acts 1. I just wanna pray this verse, this promise of us. And I wanna pray this because, because you and your role in the church, it matters. And it matters when you live into your role as a witness, living within your gifts. And as we see from the example of Acts 6, every single one of us, every single one of us has a role to play. And God wants to use you in your life with your gifts, your abilities, your relationships, your leadership, your passion to make a difference in the world. So let's pray together. So Father, today I want to pray specifically this, this verse of Acts 1.8. I want to pray for, for those who are with us today that we might receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Holy Spirit, that you might come into our lives in a powerful way that we might be a witness. That we might be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That we might be a witness in our families, the people we work with, our neighborhoods, and even to the ends of the earth, to those we don't even know yet, that we might be a witness. Because the truth is, you want to use us today. There are people in our life right now that could use a word of encouragement, that could have someone pray with them, that could, that could use an invitation to church, that could, that could have someone come alongside them and share with their resources because they're in need. Lord, there's so many ways that you put this before us every single day. So would you fill us with your spirit that we can play our role in the body, that together we can be a witness of the goodness and the love of God that's been shown to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we thank you that you want to use us, all of us, in this work that you have. And may we have courage to go and the boldness to be a witness in your name. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.
before Still I know that there's more of you to find I have seen heaven fall Still my heart longs to see you one more time So once again I invite you in Once again I am reaching out You're all I'm after All that I pursue I hunger and thirst for you Hunger and thirst for you My soul desires great to be with you today to share this time together. I want to say thank you to Colette, to KJ, Jim, Stephanie. Thank you for, for leading us today and using your gifts as part of the body to really make a difference for all of us. Your leadership really matters. 
And if this has been helpful for you today, I wanna to encourage you to share this. Who, who in your life could use an encouraging word to know that they are part of the body of Christ and their leadership matters to people around them? This week, friends, you're gonna have an opportunity to be a witness. Use your gifts, your abilities, your passions, your leadership to make a difference in someone else's life. Can't wait to be with you next Sunday.